0: Let's pray. Uh, just still in our hearts and minds, Father, we are grateful that we can come before you in prayer. Uh, this remarkable privilege that we can come uh, into your into your presence, Lord, that we can speak to you uh, with honesty, Lord, not not trying to find the words. Sometimes, even without words. And Lord, we just want to pray this morning. We want to pray for, um, for one another. Uh, Lord, we, we pray for ourselves as we uh, listen and as we explore this Bible passage together. Lord, we pray that this wouldn't just be a, a talk, Lord, but we'd be uh, we'd be listening and that your uh, spirit would be enabling us to connect with what you're saying. Father, we pray. We just uh, express our need, our dependence upon you this morning. Lord, we might have read this before, but but we need you. Father, we think of our children as they're out in their groups, and we pray your blessing upon them, uh, Lord, that their time together would be enjoyable, full of truth and life-giving. Father, we pray your blessing upon those who are leading those groups and everyone who's a part of them, Lord, we we pray your blessing upon them richly. Lord, as we come to read now, Lord, we pray that um, yeah we would soak in, in your words. And that by your spirit, you'd speak to us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The passage that uh, Chris is going to look at, it comes from Luke 17. So Luke chapter 17, it's not a long passage, it starts in verse 11. And I'll read down to verse 19, Luke 17. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. Morning again. (laughs) So, Harvest
1: Sunday, choosing gratitude. Uh, I think it's fair to say that we live in a world where we probably encounter uh, a lot more uh, desire to complain than uh, seeing a lot of gratitude. I mean, if you think probably, if you you listen to consumer programs, if you were to talk to uh, those who are working, manning the desk in any of the shops, they uh, are probably likely to tell you that the percentage of those who are coming to say thank you for uh, a great service or thank you for a great experience in terms of being in your shop or being uh, staying in your place is probably significantly lower than those who choose to complain. Uh, we live in a world of reviews, don't we? And uh, uh, I remember getting uh, stuck in a little bit of a rabbit hole uh, for, for some reason, it was it was one evening, and I started reading some reviews for some of the local places where you can eat or have a coffee uh, on TripAdvisor, just out of curiosity. And then suddenly, you find yourself going down this rabbit hole because you're beginning to think, "Well, what did he say about that place and that place?" And uh, The most uh, sensational thing that you could see sometimes is just this sparring match of words in between the owner of the establishment and some customer who is complaining. And I'm thinking, I'm sure you're not making loads of fans by coming and attacking somebody who's been complaining about the service they have received. But it's very normal to complain. And it's probably very rarely that we hear words of praise or gratitude. And yet... On this Harvest Sunday, where probably in the traditional church calendar, it was put in in a time when probably uh, people felt that as the harvest is happening, it's a good time to give thanks to the Lord. Very much of a connection to the Old Testament festivals. They were very much aligned with a culture of giving thanks and acknowledging what God has done, and it isn't by our own two hands and the rain that comes from above that we somehow make it happen, but it is all because of God, so therefore you bring your goods and you bring your gratitude before God in a way saying, thank you. This is all because of you, and it is all for you. Obviously, things have changed. Um, We were wondering if we should do a traditional harvest display, And I I, I tell you, frankly, what's happened in in the past. And this is CFM, sort of suburban church, not quite uh, rural, not quite urban. It's kind of difficult. Sometimes I go to some of the rural churches, uh, and you're invited to harvest service, and it's just magnificent displays that are really amazing. With ours, sometimes it'd be like, you know, some cans and some... And then what happens is the pastors get left with them, and throughout the week they have to try to get rid of them, make it happen. So we just decided, look, in, in a world of waste, it probably isn't a, a, a good thing to do. So I worked very hard trying to provide something visually <laughs> for us. But I want us to think about gratitude. Mark Twain, with his usual wit, once wrote this. If you pick up a starving dog and make him prosperous, he will not bite you. That is the principal difference between a dog and a man. He's putting his finger on something that is part of human nature, as I was saying earlier on. We somehow find gratitude difficult. And that is because we are selfish. In a fallen world, we're a sinful fallen nature. We're focused on ourselves. And very often, somehow, being grateful is the very opposite of the selfishness that can dwell in our own hearts. This is a, a, a beautiful story where Jesus is encountering these ten lepers as he's on his way to Jerusalem, traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And it says he was going into a village and then ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, which would have been the normal protocol in that kind of situation because the lepers were not supposed to touch anybody. They were seen as unclean. They would have been a danger physically. And they would have been repugnant, spiritually speaking, because somehow their sickness was attached to their uncleanliness, which made them unable to partake in any of the worship that any Jewish person would have been able to be involved in. And as they stand at a distance, they call out in a loud voice saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When Jesus sees them, he says, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. I I was saying to you, let's not put Jesus in a box. This time Jesus doesn't spit. He doesn't say, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. He doesn't put his hand on them. He just sends them on the way to the priests. And as they go, they're healed and a miraculous transformation for their life happens. Don't, don't miss this. This is truly, utterly life-changing. As lepers at every level, spiritually, financially, relationally, they were ruined. They had no hope. It was the end. And yet, in a fraction of a second, as they go to show themselves to the priests, the heel. I, I, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall. There were no walls, but whatever the expression that's appropriate would be. To see it happen as they're walking, going towards the and, and you know what it's like when you're traveling towards something and you're so focused on the destination rather than on the journey. And they probably weren't thinking anything and, 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 and suddenly they're probably... I don't even know whether they noticed it themselves or they noticed it at each other. And, uh, y- y- you know, Baruch was looking at Levi and said, Levi, look at your fingers. They're growing back. Where's the disease? And he said, no, it's not just me. It's you as well. And suddenly they look at each other and this, this unbelievable thing is happening. And the sickness that ultimately would have led to death is gone. Mind-blowing. And yet what's most mind-blowing in the text, according to Jesus, is that as they're healed out of the ten, only one comes back to say thank you. Absolutely mind-blowing. And I think there's something that we can learn here. And the, the, the interesting thing is that the same motivation for gratitude that would have been for the one who turned back is very much the same motivation for us. The place that they're in is on the border of Samaria, and Jews and Samaritans didn't get on with each other, and that's an understatement. They hated each other's gods. They despised each other. They looked down on each other, thinking every single one of them would have been superior to the other one. And yet that's the very place where Jesus is doing this miracle, and surprisingly, and Jesus himself is surprised that he's the only one who comes back out of the ten is a Samaritan himself. And he comes back. And it's shockingly sad. I mean, if you're thinking of doing a ministry and you have 10% return, that's disappointing, to say the least. And yet that's the reality. Only one comes back. And the one that comes back, shockingly, is not the one you would expect to come back. It's a Samaritan. And he returns and you make, it makes you wonder, you know, what made him come back? What made him come back? I think he realized the miracle that just happened. He says one of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back, and here's the clue. Praising God. Praising God in a loud voice. The motivation for gratitude is a realization that God did this. It was all due to God's healing power as Jesus sent them away. And he couldn't but react to that. And the motivation for his gratitude is wanting to say thank you to Jesus in some kind of strange way, realizing I don't, I don't think that he had a full revelation of who Jesus was. But he had that little bit of an intuition thinking, there is something about this man that had to do with God. And I want to go to that man in order to say thank you to God. And it's really interesting that he doesn't go to the temple To say thank you, but he comes back to Jesus. So, again, I just think there was something within him that was telling him there's something about this man and God. And he came and thanked Jesus for the amazing miracle that changed his life forever. This was precious. That's the motivation for being grateful. It's a recognition. That's why the harvest service uh, it was traditionally held. That's why the Jewish festivals are there. To mark this and to recognize that it is all because of God. And wanting to acknowledge that in a very visible way. And he comes back to Jesus. But the question is where are the other nine? And I'm sure you probably wondered that as well. Where are the other nine? Jesus says it's where are the other nine? Why are they not here? I love the fact that Jesus is a little bit disappointed, a little bit surprised. And and he reacts like me and you would react, thinking, what's going on? Weren't they all healed? Didn't they not all experience the same? Why? And it's probably slightly speculative, but it's the preacher's job to do a little bit of speculation. And it's a mystery in reality. But we can speculate what some of the possible reasons why they could not come. And it is very disappointing that the vast majority, overwhelming majority, this is why it's so dangerous to talk about percentages. And, and, and you know, if, if we look at this, we're kind of thinking, man, Jesus' ministry really failed. <laughs> he healed 10 people, one came back. Great. But we play this game of numbers and percentages with churches. Oh, we've got an increase of this much percentage for giving or attendance and all that kind of stuff. When well, you compare it to Jesus' ministry, it's not great on this occasion. It seems quite disappointing. Why are they not there? I wonder if they had excuses. Because excuses are our enemies. And excuses are gratitude blockers. Our excuses are gratitude blockers. Maybe there was a sense of delay. And they probably said, and you and I know this, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. You know, you're you're coming out of a shop and you've had a fantastic experience with one of the workers being super helpful. You know, and you, you should be doing something about that. Going and telling somebody, writing an email, doing whatever you would do if you had to complain. It's funny, isn't it, how quick we are to complain and how we, have, we find a time to complain, but we don't find it. Well, I'll do it later. So there could have been a sense in which the nine said, you know, I'll, I'll do it later. I'll go, go, go to see my family, celebrate with, and it's all justified. I'll spend some time with my family. We'll celebrate together. We have a really good time. And then I'll go and find Jesus and say thank you to him. It could have been that. It could have been the denial. And I've heard this in the context of supernatural healing from God in people's lives. Where people are being touched by God or delivered over something. And the trade-off, the expected trade-off, no, there is a trade-off. There isn't a trade-off. But the expected trade-off is that, you know, because Jesus changed your life, you go follow Jesus. But they don't want to follow Jesus. And then do you know what they say? They say, I wasn't sick after all. It wasn't that bad anyway. It wasn't God that did it. It was a doctor. It was the medication. It wasn't God. But deep down, you know it was God. You know that. But you find that excuse in which you're in denial. And they could have just said, we weren't that sick anyway. We would have gotten better anyway. It's maybe because of the priest that we were going to see. Maybe God just knew that our hearts were so keen, and we were going to the temple to the priest, and God just did that. Nothing to do with Jesus. It's not, it's not because of him. And that's maybe why they didn't come back. Maybe they were just really disinterested. And maybe just thought, I've got so much to do. Uh, You know, I'm not going to go to see that guy. I don't even, I mean, he didn't even do anything after all. All he said is just go show yourselves to the priest. And there go all the possible excuses. And I'm sure you can think of some others. And we don't really know. It's a mystery. But actually... Very often those excuses are gratitude blockers. When we delay, when we deny, when we're just disinterested. When they didn't choose to come back, the nine. But the one did. And I love the way it looked when he came back. Look at me at verses 15 and 16. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And Luke adds, and he was a Samaritan. There's amazing signs of his gratitude. This is the unexpected hero. This is not the one. If we would have been trying to guess beforehand who would have come back, we probably would have put Samaritan right at the very bottom, thinking Samaritan and Jews don't get on well together. He's not going to come back. He's not want to come want to come and see Jesus again. And yet he's the very one. He doesn't follow the crowd. That's the mark of somebody who lives in gratitude. They don't follow the crowd. The crowd very often would be great at moaning, slow at expressing gratitude. Grateful people don't follow the crowd like this guy. He could have just said, well, if all nine are going and not going back, I might as well just, you know, stick with the majority, stick with the nine. Why should I stand out? It's a bit weird. My mom does that sometimes. She, she says, you've got to go and say thank you to that person. I'm thinking, oh, don't make me do that. Just just go and say thank you. They've been really great. Oh, please, I'm going to look like a weirdo. You know, complainers are Okay. People who say thank you, oh, what's going on? He doesn't follow the crowd. He goes and expresses that to Jesus. He's humble. He comes by bowing down before Jesus. And again, I wonder if there's this intuition of a recognition of the Messiahship of Jesus. That he just gets it. He's not just an ordinary guy. He's not just a healer. There's something about this man. Reminds you of God. And he comes and bows before Jesus. He's sacrificial. I'm sure it would have cost him walking back. I'm sure he could have had a better time going to see his family. I'm sure everything else would have been easier than come back, all that effort to come back and say thank you. But that's what grateful people do. They are sacrificial. And there is a price involved. And there is an effort. But he is grateful and he expresses that. And I love the way kind of his whole being expresses that. And, and it's, it's, it's sort of 3D. It's visual. There's that sense in which he throws himself at Jesus' feet. And before that, it says he came back praising God in a loud voice. The gratitude is expressive. It's practical. It's visible. It's audible. I keep saying the world we live in. It's full of anonymous, grateful people that never ever say it to anybody else, never ever show it to anybody else, never ever write about it. It's always kind of kept on the inside. It's like Garfield, <laughs> uh, where he's on the challenges him and says, You know, you always look so unhappy. He says, No, I'm happy. I just don't want to let my face know it. <laughs> That's how most of us live our lives thinking, You know, yeah, I'm grateful. Who sees it? Who hears it? Who reads it? And this man comes, and in his expression of gratitude, he really is humble, he's sacrificial, he's visible, he's audible. Everything about his gratitude is easy to remember and easy to notice. The interesting thing is that he gets more than just the healing because one of the greatest rewards that he gets is when he comes back, Jesus asks the question, where are the nine? Why only this man, who is a Samaritan, came? And then he says to G- Jesus says to him in verse 19, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. The reward of his gratitude is actually he receives praise from Jesus. Not just healing, but praise as well. What a great thing to know that it isn't just that he was physically touched and changed, but somehow he received the very praise of God himself for his gratitude, for choosing to come back and say thank you. You know, the amazing thing about the story of the 10 lepers, it's it's not just the story of the 10 lepers, but it's our story too. Spiritually speaking, not physically. It's our story too. Every single one of us, because of the sin in our lives, we were unclean. We were lost at every level. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationally, you name it. We were outcasts. And we were heading to death, spiritually speaking. And yet when Jesus, the Savior of the world, comes and gives his life on the cross and takes upon himself our very sin through him, through the blood that he shed as a ransom for many, we are cleansed. So this is our story too. We were once unclean and through Jesus' love and power, we are now cleansed if we know him. As our Lord and Savior. So we are just like the ten. We've been healed. We've been set free. We've been forgiven. Yet sometimes it seems like a bit of a. uh, Kind of news. It was joyful once. Sometimes in the past. But not today. Jared Wilson. Gives an illustration of how we need to fall in love and be amazed at the gospel work that Jesus has done in our life through his salvation. He says, imagine that you are driving somewhere and you need to get in a hurry and you get into the car and you you have to go past a level crossing and right on the level crossing your car breaks down. And, and you're just trying with everything within yourself to try to, you know, get the key starting again. You get out of the car and, you, you know, you're thinking of trying to push it. You can't, you can't do anything about it. Of course, there's a train that's beginning to approach. And then suddenly, there's a guy with a truck behind you. And the guy with a truck behind you rams slowly into your car, pushing it. But as he pushes it, his cabin gets hit by the train. You're stunned. The train passes. And you get out of the car and you look around and you can't believe it. Your, your car is fairly intact with just a little bit of a, uh, of a hit on the bumper. But you look at the wreckage of the cabin. And you think, I can't believe this has happened to me. What's worse? You begin to hear some noises. You're trying to regather your sanity and you realize the noise are coming from the boot of your car. You go and open the boot of your car and your son is in there. He was playing hide and seek and decided to, without your knowledge, to hide in the boot of the car. You are so grateful. You are beyond words. Your life's been spared. The son, you didn't even know. Was locking the boot of your car has been spared, yet somebody sacrificially gave their life for you. It's a poor illustration, but it is what Jesus did when he went to the cross. The whole wreckage of sin hit him as hard as he possibly could, and then salvation is available—unmerited salvation, unexpected salvation—is available for me and you. Should we be grateful? Should we be grateful? Should we be grateful for such an incredible sacrifice? We are the ten lepers that have been cleansed by Jesus. And that's where the gratitude should well up within ourselves from that gospel story, from that knowledge that Jesus gave his life for me and I am loved with a love I don't deserve that he richly lavishes upon every single one of us. Christians ought not to be grateful because we do good gooders or because they are religious people that do nice things. Christians, followers of Jesus, ought to live with a deep sense of gratitude in our lives because we have been saved, undeservedly so. And that's why, like the one Samaritan, we should always be ready to come back and give thanks. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this. He says, the ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. If every single day we wake up with that thing saying, I don't really, you know, it's, 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 it's horrible outside, maybe... The diagnosis I got this week is horrendous. The relationships in my life are a mess. Life's not easy. Life's tough. But oh my word, I am saved by grace. And that is something no one and nothing could offer me in this life. And Jesus did. So I can be thankful for the grace of Jesus. And grateful people live with that sense of realizing what God has done in their lives. Gratitude, I believe, is an attitude and it's a choice. <laughs> it's not. It's not something that we're born with. As I said to you, we're born in a sinful world with a bend towards selfishness. And selfishness and gratitude don't, just don't go together. So gratitude is grown in our lives. It's cultivated. It's something that The Spirit of God just helps us to continually grow in. And it is a choice. So if you're saying, I'm not a grateful person, thank you for your honesty. But don't stay there. Because I'm saying, it's a choice. You can make a decision to live as a moaner, as a complainer. Or you can, by the grace of God and through the work of the Spirit, and with a jesus like gospel joy become somebody who grows in gratitude and really that's about that sense of noticing every day and expressing it in our private lives just that sense of all throughout the day recognizing the fingerprint of god over our lives is that kind of slightly corny but pretty good reminder Count your blessings. It's that sense of recognizing the fingerprint of God over our lives. We just think, wow, this is sensational. God is at work. Yes, stuff is messy. It's imperfect. It's even very tough. But God is still at work. And I can cultivate that private gratitude. Actually, it's a classic thing. You know, if I was to bring a glass full of water, and if I accidentally just hit it with my elbow, and it will, you know, kind of move, and it will spill. What's going to spill on Sarah? Come on, it's not rocket science, it's simple. Water. What's inside the glass will spill on those who are around. And, you know, obviously, if I'm putting something else, you know, if it's a mug of coffee, it'd be coffee. Same thing, if gratitude is in our lives, when the knocks of life spill some stuff out of our life, it'll be what's inside of us that people are going to see. So if there's kind of bitterness and complaining and all that kind of stuff, guess what, when we're it with other people, there ain't going to be nice stuff coming out of our lives. It's going to be stuff that's not so nice. But if we cultivate privately that sense of recognizing the fingerprint of God and rejoicing in the salvation that we have in Jesus and thanking God for the many, many ways in which he's at work in our life, guess what? That's going to begin to spill into the lives of other people around us because that's what's inside all of us. The other thing that is really, really, uh, it's almost like to me like a twin passage of this in terms of gratitude. Uh, It's how we forgive others. So there's a beautiful uh, uh, parable and uh, Alan spoke on it not long ago. It's a parable that Jesus tells of two debtors. One debtor has an unsurmountable amount of debt that he can never pay and the king forgives him and he goes out and then he collars somebody that owes him a tiny amount and is absolutely rootless towards him. And the real underlying powerful message of this, we receive unsurmountable forgiveness, a debt that we can never pay from Jesus himself, but then we go and grab somebody by the throat and going, oh, you just called me this on social media. <laughs> And I hate your guts. And I'll never speak to you again for the next 15 years. Ah, I can't do that. If we are grateful people, we got to live that gratitude out. If we receive grace, we offer grace. That's, again, the overflow of the forgiveness that you and I receive. And I'm, I'm not making it sound like it's, it's easy. It's not easy. And I used a funny example, but there are harder things in life where it's much harder, but still the truth remains. I truly believe that unforgiving people have never really tasted God's forgiveness. That's a tough thing to get our heads around. Read the letters of the Apostle John. They're so challenging about loving others. And the correlation with the love of God in terms of us loving others or not loving others. And that's why it's so important actually to live in forgiveness because I think that's living in gratitude. Expressing it in worship publicly. Again, if we're people who are grateful for the grace of God, when we sing those songs that talk about the work of Christ for us, let's keep on singing them like we sang them this morning. Because it's true. And I keep, I keep saying it. You, you, don't, you, you don't realize. But when you sing in worship, you are ministering to other people. Seriously. Pastorally. There are people to your left or to your right or in front or at the back who are going through hell right now. And sometimes they don't, they don't have the power to sing it. But they quietly sit and listen to you singing. And as you worship God, you minister to others wholeheartedly. And it washes over them. And the truth comes again and again and again. And that's how we pastorally, we, we do pastoral work when we sing praises to God because we bless one another in that. So let's continue to be expressive in our gratitude to God because he really deserves it. And that's an important part of our public ministry together as we are in this. And always thinking of others in terms of evangelistically, I I truly believe that actually when we are grateful, people will begin to notice that gratitude. It'd be a very visible reminder to them and it will speak volumes and it will raise questions and we can point towards Christ every single time. I think we have enemies on this. Sometimes we're so aloof and so busy and we just don't notice. We don't notice what God did or does and we don't notice what other people do. And that's a barrier to gratitude. So paying attention really helps. Another barrier is just seeing it but not saying it. Seeing it but not saying it. We think, oh, that was really encouraging, that was really wonderful. We don't say. We can get so caught up in the sort of cultural tsunami that just loves to complain, loves to moan, loves to just, uh, you know, everything is doom and gloom and nothing is encouraging. But we must go right against it. Let me finish with a story that, <laughs> that, that I remember uh, from, from being young that really stuck with me in terms of gratitude. Corrie ten Boom um, was a Dutch lady who, in a house um, with, with her parents, when she was a young girl, with her parents, they hid people that were hunted down by the Nazi, Jewish people that were hunted down by the Nazi. They ended up in a, being in a concentration camp, and you need to read more uh, about her and her sister's experience Uh, at Ravensbrück in a concentration camp. But uh, one of the amazing stories is that what was one of the perilous things about being in a concentration camp, it was a huge amount of fleas who were uh, being an incredible inconvenience and a a, a real pain for all those who were there. And uh, they got into the habit of thanking God for even the difficult circumstances they were in. Even to some point thanking God for the fleas. And it took them a little bit of a while, but at one point they just realized what an incredible reason to thank God for the fleas. Because of the fleas, the guards would very rarely ever come into the barracks because they were horrified. And therefore the ladies could share the gospel, could sing songs, could spend time with God. And therefore it ended up with them really thanking God even for the fleas in the midst of the difficult circumstance. You know, I think it's true for most of our lives that even when the fleas are around and the difficulties of life strike us, there's actually sometimes things where we can, even in those difficult situations, begin to see what God is doing in what seems to be only bad, but actually God redemptively still is working. My prayer is that Not just once a year, on Harvest Sunday, we think about being grateful, grateful to God, grateful for one another. But actually, we begin to cultivate, as the Spirit of God works in us, this really grateful attitude that spills out. With a a whole lot of weirdos that are spilling out onto the streets and and, and the neighborhoods and workplaces. And people are kind of thinking, what is going on with these people? They're genuine. They're not weird, as in fake But they're genuinely grateful people. Why are they grateful? And that the gospel of Jesus would shine through. And the kindness of what God has done in us would spill into the lives of all the other people around us. And then suddenly they'll realize this God is truly amazing. Let's stand together.